All right. How's everybody doing? I always ask, just testing you out every time I come up here. <laughs> For those of you that are uh, new to Ocean City Church, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here, and we are in a series called Return. And the under kind of lying idea in Return maybe was in the thoughts of people, you know, when we kind of launched it and put it on social media of, oh, this is all about returning to church. Like, you know, the pastor's tired of preaching to empty rooms or half-filled rooms or rooms filled with people with masks on and that kind of stuff. It's time to get back. But that really wasn't the idea of the series at all. In some ways, we knew that people would be returning, but it was really about maybe what is it that along the way God is uprooted in 2020 and maybe the beginning of 2021 that Maybe we've needed to return to for years. Maybe it's been 15 years. Maybe it's 20 years. Maybe it's your entire life. The idea of what, is, how, what does it mean to return home? In the simplicity of the story of the prodigal son, where a son leaves his home, takes all of what he thinks is owed to him, and wastes his life, and then wakes up and realizes the best thing that I have is back home at my house. Even if it's a portion of what I used to have, I could go home. And he finds out when he comes home that he's going to get the full measure of his father's love. And what is it that maybe we've missed out on? Maybe that's been uprooted that God's showing us that we should return to. And today is a a fun one, but also one that might be difficult because it really hits home with me and it sure will hit home with you. But it's this idea of returning to each other. And, you know, when I look at that, I'm really looking at this idea of Commitment. So if you got your Bible, we see a lot of this in the epistles with the Apostle Paul. And we, we spend a lot of time in the book of Ephesians. We actually, with our students, have been walking through Ephesians. But we'll be in Ephesians 3 and 4. We'll start in 3 and we'll move some into 4 this morning. But when I think about this idea of commitment, and I am talking about commitment to the church. But this isn't really about, I, I'm trying to get all the people that are here in that you know, zone of I don't know yet you know, to to make a decision. Well, maybe I am in some ways. I'm just not pushing you in one way or the other that it's this church or some other church. But when when I think about this idea of returning to each other, there is something that we have missed in 2020 and 2021, which is in isolation, when you are separated, you do miss one another. Those people that you encounter when you come to church, those people that you encounter when you are out in the community, the friends that you might miss, the family that you've been separated from. So what does it mean to return to each other? And one of the things that, that just kind of came up, just kind of boiled up to the surface and studying, you know, the, just this passage in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 4 is where we are in our culture. And in our culture, we, have, we do have commitment phobia. I don't know if you know that. All of us, I do. I mean, it's why I love Amazon, because there's return policies. Like, I don't have to make a commitment. Like, I can order something that I'm like, I can't pull that off but you know, I'm going to try. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to put that thing on at home, walk around in it and go, you know what, that's got to go back. I mean, you just, we have those options. And in life, you know, what's, what I found out, like when I was, when, we, when commitment phobia goes across the board. In relationships, it's, it's one of those things. We have, I think, friendship, you know, kind of steps to commitment to now you're my bestie. But, you know, in romantic relationships, there's steps. You know, when, when I was a kid, you're in middle school. What did you do first? Like if it was like it's time to, to I like her, you know, I think she likes me because her three friends told me that she might like me. What do you do next? Anybody? Send a note, man. That's what you do. You're going to send a note. And we, what are you going to do? You're going to write a little note. It's going to have a thing. And us, I don't know what it was. The the question was, 
do you, you know, do you like me? Or, you know, will you go with me? And I don't even know what that means. Will you go with me where? Middle school, you can't go anywhere. It's like, but will you go with me? I mean, that was the way. Anybody remember the will you go with me era? Yeah, I know how old you are. So it, it was the box that you would check, yes or no, and you'd get it back. And sometimes it would have a little, neither of them would be checked. And there'd be a long explanation because girls are going to give you the long, they're not going to, I just, it's too black and white. There's a whole lot of reasons why, and I don't want to break his heart. Uh, and you get it back, or there was a yes, and then there was a you know, little party, and then you wouldn't talk to her right away because you're like, I don't even know what to say now. The note was so easy. And then there was the progression, right? So it's like there's the dating, engagement, and marriage. That was the old progression. Now we're in a more commitment, phobia kind of place, so now it's a little different. Now it's the, you, you go out with you know, your friends, and you meet in groups, and you're like, these are the groups of people I talk to, and maybe you have a streak on Snapchat with a girl or two or three, or a guy or two or three. You know what that, the streaks are all about? Like, I talk to you every day. We've at least snapped once a day for this amount of time, and you look, and you see, man, somebody's got, you got a 60-day streak going with Sally, man. I don't know what that's all about, and you might have something like that going on, and it might mean nothing, or it might mean something. So it starts out with something like on social media, we've been talking, We've been chatting. Something's happened. But it's not really talking, talking, because that's a whole nother phase I have found out as a parent. What are they doing? Oh, we talking. That's it. What are they doing? Hey, you know, so-and-so is talking. And I'm like, what is talking? I mean, I talk to people all the time. Have I done something in talking? Have I made some sort of commitment I can't back out of because I'm talking to people? It's talking. And that's the next phase that you're, you're jumping into in a relationship, and my kids talk about that. And you can be talking, the thing about talking, the low commitment side of talking, is you can talk to multiple people. Now, not everybody's gonna be happy about you talking to multiple people, but it's part of the commitment chain. Like, you're allowed to. It's like, who are you talking to? Well, I'm talking to her, but I'm kind of talking to her too. Or I'm talking to him, but he keeps talking to me, so I started talking to him. And there's no, at that point, you can back out of talking at any time. It's like Amazon, you can return it. You don't have to do anything at that point. And then there's the next phase. It's like, and this is a big deal. Like in middle school, high school, when you are dating, in mean, middle school, they just stay in talking zone. I don't think they even venture into the waters of dating. But that you start dating, it is like, it's serious. Like this is now, now we're talking about stuff that we understand when you're my age, when you're in the 40s, exclusive. I'm dating you and you're it. Like I'm not, you're just no others right now. We're just me and you, we're doing it. That's when all of a sudden your friends disappear. And you don't see them anymore, right? And then there's the next phase. As you get a little bit older, maybe you're in college or, you know, you're like me. You're a redneck and you're 12 and you decide to marry your girlfriend. <laughs> I'm kidding. But you get into that place in that phase where it's like engagement phase. You know, we're going to get engaged. You know, we're going to wait. Nowadays, it's like you get engaged and like a year and a half to five years later, it's finally, we set a date because we had to figure it out. Well, the pandemic kind of put a lot of people on the brakes. You know, we were getting married in three months and now it's been two years. But Engagement and then marriage. And then you've got you know, the covenant, the real solid, the biblical commitment when, you, when it comes to things. And there's, there's people definitely on different levels of commitment. I don't know who, who on the Enneagram is the commitment people that are like loyal. Does anybody know who the loyalist is? Six. You knew it. My wife's like, I know the Enneagram. Six. Some of you did know it. You wear the Enneagram t-shirt. I am a three and I know that I like to control junk. You know, I mean, I know people. <laughs> But there's commitment in all of us, this thing that we don't want to commit. And what's interesting is, is commitments, like the idea of being able to, heck, what, keep your options open is a 
would, would be something that's like beneficial about our society. We didn't have that in the day. I mean, if you lived in a certain town and there weren't many people around, it was like, it's her or her. My parents don't like that family, and we're pretty much lined up over here, so it's her, and that's who we gonna, that's probably gonna be my wife, and that's it. You didn't have that option. Now, tons of options, buying things, tons of options, everything, there's options. And you think that that give this is in psychology today, I love this article, it's all about commitment. Um, and I'll put this on the screen. Given the choice, would you prefer to make an ironclad or no turning back decision, or one that you could back out of if you needed to? Does that seem like a stupid question? It's kind of the one that I posed right now. Would you want to back out of it? Like, would you want something? I do like the return policies. And we think and we believe that that makes us happier people. And, and the article goes on. This is a, a doctor in psychology. She says, I understand why you might, why it might. That be the better decision. But bear with me because it isn't. Choices don't make us happier. Keeping our options open does not make us happier. People overwhelmingly prefer reversible decisions to irreversible ones. These are studies that have been made. They believe it's better to keep options open whenever possible. They wait years for declaring a major, date someone for years before getting married, save, um, favor stores with guaranteed policies, and hire employees on a temporary basis or use probationary periods in order to avoid commitments that can be difficult or nearly impossible to undo. People believe that it is the best way to ensure their own happiness and success. Bunch of studies in Harvard on this particular topic. I don't know why they picked this one, but it is pretty interesting. But people, as it turns out, are wrong. And as the article continued, it stated all of the, just from culture to culture to culture, that Having so many choices and keeping your options open actually makes you depressed, actually takes the happiness meter down. It's, it's a bar none. There was no study in which it was a better option. And I always think about this because I actually, I, I've, I've realized maybe lately, if I like the, the restaurant I go to that's got like four things on it. Like, I don't know. I go there when you have the one that you've got to flip. One, I don't see real good. So I'm like looking and trying to flip through the thing. And the print's like tiny. And I'm like, babe, can you just pick one for me? And I'm fine. But having fewer options. In fact, arranged marriages, they've done studies on arranged marriages. Those people are happier. And there's a reason. There's a loyalty kind of engagement that happens at that point. You know, it's interesting in church world, we've done the exact same thing in the way that we engage in church. And as the Apostle Paul kind of takes a look at where we are in Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4, in Colossians, in all of these epistles where he's engaging in the organizational structure of the church, what it looks like for us to not attend something, but belong to something, be a part of the family of God. There's this thing that we do. I mean, it's almost like dating. We even have our own process here. Like we've got, you know, if you, if you look at our kind of connection structure, anybody been to Acclimate that's in here? Anybody Acclimate people? You people have been to acclimate. You hear about the structure, like Sunday. Sunday's the first thing you do. That's like dating. We just met, right? As we just started the relationship, I'm looking around. There's no commitment on just coming on a Sunday. Like, I mean, that's just like, I'm, I've rolled in. I'm at the party. I've seen people, and I don't know what's happening here, or if I like her, if she likes me, but we're going to just check it out for a while. We're going to feel out the whole process. So that's Sunday. That's presence. I'm going to come. I'm going to kind of be around to see what the personality of this church that I'm going to date is all about. And then acclimate is like, we're going to coffee, right? 
We're getting ready to go to coffee. We're going to find out a little bit more about this person, see what the personality's like, see what the culture's like, see if these are the people that I want to be in cahoots with. Is this going to be my family? That's like talking, I guess. We just talk. Acclimate as we're talking. We could bail at any time, before or after acclimate, right? You could be a part of the church. And then, what's the, what's the next one? Anybody in acclimate? Like, if you get into the next city group, I'm going to be a part of a city group, which is more intimate. It's like, this is a little easier. I can, I can be kind of unknown, with the exception of Ann McFerrin knowing you, because she's going to know you. But you can be pretty unknown. Like in big churches, you can be really unknown. It's why sometimes big churches, they get to a certain point, they really, really grow because people can go in low commitment. But you come here, people are going to know you pretty good. But you got this point, okay, city group, people are going to know you. Like if you are in a city group and you attend regularly and then all of a sudden you bail, somebody's going to come after you. I mean, it's lost sheep. Where'd they go? What's going on? They had another church or something wrong. That's city group. That's another side of the, the commitment. And at the same time, something else could happen. What could happen? Anybody? Anchor. I heard it. You could become an anchor here at Ocean City Church, which anchor is like, that's our, like, we don't have church membership, but we also don't have volunteers. We have anchors. This is this idea that now I've been here. I've experienced this family. I've experienced the unending ocean of grace. Now I get to invite people beyond the veil, like it says in Hebrews 6.19, to the hope, to Jesus, the anchor of our soul, to experience Jesus. How do I invite them in? I get to hold people's babies. I get to teach their kids the gospel. I get to hold the door. I might get to slap at a base. I might do something to invite people in to the unending ocean of grace. Now we're in a relationship. We have made a commitment. Now we are, the marriage is on. There's a covenant that happens with the whole anchor thing. You feeling me? That's, that's what happens. That's the, the, the process that we have here at Ocean City Church. But the tension, I think, for us is during the pandemic, we not only had choices before, but now we got tons of choices and we created them and it was really nobody's fault. So you've got before it was different churches, different sized churches, different churches with different theology, different churches with different ways of engagement, different, different ideas of what ministry looks like. We had a smorgasbord. We had a buffet of places that we could go and be a part and attend a church. But with the pandemic, it's provided a, a way for us to have low commitment. And those options have continued. And there's, the excuses are obvious, but they're also legitimate. The ones for not coming to church or not coming to church all that often. The options are exponentially and they're increasing over and over again. We've got online church. We had no online church. Now we got on. There's people right now. Hey, I see all y'all and I love you. I'm not telling you you're doing anything wrong. It's just we got a whole, we have an entire other congregation that's engaging with us that are online. Turn around and say hi to the camera, everybody, right now. You see, they can't see you because I think it's all focused right here. They all just waved at you. They love you, and we are excited that we're all together. It's a cool thing. But there's also something about the engagement where, and these people, I've talked to a lot of the people that aren't really back at church yet, and they, they love it here. They want to be here, but they have a harder time engaging. There's things that are more difficult for them to engage in, so they've had to work a little bit harder. And human nature, we don't, I like the path of re, least resistance. It's one of the things that I like to do. So we've got all of these options. We've got more ways to lightly engage in church. But the, the, the ferociousness in which the gospel was moving and needed to move in the time of the church exploding when you read through the book of Acts. 
And when you see in the future, in the book of Ephesians, as he's looking at these church plants, these organized local church bodies that were the engines, they were the, 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 the places where people came in and they gathered only to scatter and bring the gospel. The Apostle Paul's speaking in Ephesians chapter 3, which my wife actually this week preached on this to students, and it was fantastic. But it talks about Jesus encountering the Apostle Paul and what he did in rescuing him, even though he was lesser as an apostle because he wasn't the one following Jesus around as a disciple. But later he was pulled on the road to Damascus into ministry. He said of God that his intent was now that, listen, this was his intent, that through the church, that's you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That's the intricate wisdom, this deep wisdom that, that wasn't understood before, that it would be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Those are rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Those are godly beings. Those are angels. Some commentators say even the ones, the fallen, the, 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 the evil segment of fallen angels, the enemy, it was to make known to them that victory was coming and victory had come according to his eternal purpose that how? What? He accomplished it in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. In him and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence. Now we can worship with no fear. We can go beyond the veil into the presence of God and communicate with God through Jesus. And I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of any of the sufferings, any of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. For this reason... I kneel before the Father, whom from every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Meaning we're a family where there was a blood-bought price that was paid in the cross of Jesus Christ that binds all of us in the room that are followers of Jesus together as brothers and sisters. That's how we derive our name. He says, I pray out of this, these glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power. How? Not with weights or jogging, but through his Spirit. In your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted, I love that word, rooted and established in love, may have power together. Not, not on your own, not just by yourself. You should have quiet times, you should have your individual time, but bring all of that spirituality that you're pumping in your, your, uh, your prayer closet at home. We need that here too. He says, together with all the Lord's people. To grasp how wide, how high, how long, or how, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep the love of Christ. He's making a point there. He's not stopping with what Beth said on Wednesday, one side of the geomet geometric shape. He's going in all directions, three-dimensional in the depth of who God's love is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's deeper, wider, longer, higher than we could possibly imagine. It surpasses what we can know in our mind. But that can be opened up. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So what is, what, what is the Apostle Paul saying? In many ways, he's talking about the commitment of the church. If you continue into Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll read some of it, he talks about how we engage with one another. But this one's talking about what can't happen outside of the gathering of the saints and the connection of the family of believers? There's something that will be missing, something that is vital for us, for all of us as we come together physically, as we come together and connect with one another, as we sharpen one another in the church. 
So specifically, I, wanna, I just want to answer this question because I think the tension is out there. We have a lot of choices. We can hit the eject button on church easily at any moment. So why do we need church? Well, one, God said so. I mean, is that good enough for anybody? I mean, I just wanted to throw that one out there. God said so. That's my first point. Look at it right there. I, just, I wasn't even going to be a point. I said, make that point number one. God said so in Hebrews It says this, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. We need to be together because I need when I'm kind of lazy or when I'm down and when I'm not in that good place, when I'm in the valley, I need somebody to spur me on. Not giving up. How is this going to happen? How am I going to have somebody spur me on? He doesn't leave it there. He says, I'm going to tell you how. Not giving up meeting together. You got to meet together. You got to be together. And people say, well, that's okay. I've got a couple of friends. We sit on a bar stool. And we talk about, you know, how aliens relate to the gospel. And that's fantastic. Well, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the gathering of the saints. The Apostle Paul is talking about the organized, accountable church that's been put together with elders, with people that care about one another, with people that are protecting theology, with people that understand what a wolf looks like that is taking us away from the gospel, not giving up on meeting together in that environment, as some are in the habit of doing. Because some are in that habit. There's some people that have just given up on it and thinking, I can just do this on my own. Or me and my buddy from work. And I'm not telling you not to meet in your backyard and have you know, some food and some drinks and have spiritual conversations. For the love of St. Christopher, please do that. Please gather in that way. You should be doing those things. You should be inviting your non-Christian neighbors over into that discussion around the fire pit while the weather's all good and have that conversation about where did we come from? Why are we here on planet Earth? And where are we going? Get in those conversations. But that shouldn't be the sum total. And you shouldn't put a stamp on it and call it church because it's not. It's just not. Right here, meeting together. You see that structure. If you look at 1 Timothy, if you look at Titus, you see that the Apostle Paul was very clear. We need a structure. We need elders. We need the younger generation that would submit to those elders and say, with all humility. And Jesus himself would say, this is the way. If you want to be lifted high, if you want to find yourself in a position, being able to present to the world the glory of Christ, then you're going to be the one that gets low. You're going to be the one that knows how to serve in the trenches. I remember 15 years ago, people started to bail on the church. The same thing. It's it's happening now again, and it makes me laugh because people are going through this process again. Back then, Dan remembers, it's called the emerging church. Oh, now we've got the emerging church. This is the thing. I don't know where it's emerging to or where it's going, but it's emerging now. And the idea was in the beginning, it was good. It was like, hey, let's, let's stretch the methodology in which we do church. How about let's look at the music and let it not be awful? That's a pretty great idea, right? Let's, you know, blended worship, we might flush the toilet on that because we tried to make everybody happy and nobody was happy. Let's actually play good music. Let's do what David said, play skillfully unto the Lord, and actually it will drive the demons away and the Christians into the place where they can worship and non-believers to go, hey, there's a city on the hill where lights shine and bright and people are lifting their hands to something that I want to be connected to. Yeah, that was a pretty good idea. 
But then all of a sudden, instead of just taking the methodology, they took the close-handed thing, the 100% word of God, and they said, well, maybe we should question the virgin birth. Maybe we should question these things in Scripture. Maybe we should question if this is real, if this is literal, if this is what God really meant here. Maybe we should call all of this cultural and say, no, you know what, that's not sin. That's not sin. That's not sin. Let's figure out, let's, let's filter it through how we feel and the culture and put the Bible through the culture and then see what comes out the other side. And we'll throw away a bunch of stuff in the Bible. And then when it feels real good and nobody's mad and we're not having any confrontation, then we'll have church and everybody will come. And they did. Lots of people did. But you know what? Those churches have come and they've gone. And the gospel-centered churches in America today are the ones that are standing and moving forward and the ones that, that, that Jesus himself said that nothing will come against them. Those are the ones that are moving forward. That was 15 years ago. Nobody remembers those people. But right now, it's happening again. People are doing the same thing. The pandemic's kind of provided an opportunity for a bunch of people to say, you know what, we're gonna what? The new word is deconstruct our Christianity. Let's, let's put everything on the table to question what's in the word of God. A friend of mine just posted this and I loved it. I was like, I don't post a lot on Facebook mainly because I'm a chicken, uh, but he is very bold. And he's friends with these people. He does it with grace. Like he's friends with these people. They all argue and at the end, they're like, hey man, I'll see you at dinner. And I'm like, I have no idea you do that because those people I just hate in my heart and I got to get over it. He said this about Christian deconstructionism, which is questioning like this idea of why do we have to go to church? Can't we have church in the backyard? Can we question the validity of all of scripture and the doctrines that don't fit our culture? We should look at the culture and bail on things. Same thing that's always been happening. So he says, Christian deconstruction questions, Christian deconstruction is like a cheap microwave dinner. I love that. You talk about people getting mad. It's awesome. It may be hot for a minute, but it won't last in fact, it's pretty bland. Biblical Orthodox Christianity is like a family farm that has sustained a generation after generation with rich, nourishing, diverse, and delicious meals. For how long? For two millennia and counting. Life is better on the farm. Come home. Come on. Keith Snow, if you're listening to me, I love you, man. He leads a church that I used to go to, and I love this guy. He's amazing. God said so. This is the church. Christ gave his life up for the church. We should be here. We should be engaged. We should make it our family. Number two, we'll get in these. We'll move through these. You need roots. Right there in the scripture, it says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all the Lord's people. You need roots established in love. If you want to have power, if this is, this is what we need. Now, this is, I just talked to somebody this week that talked about their relationship with their church um, in Atlanta, Georgia. They, they moved there. They didn't know anybody, and they got rooted and established in love. And they invested so much there. They put their life there they put, that it hurt to leave. It was very difficult to move back here and go to another church. They're here in our church, but it was difficult. They had put so many roots down. They had invested they had given their life away there. It's just like if you invest in a house or invest in something along the way. She took responsibility for her roots. She invested so much that it was really hard. If it's easy to leave, then you didn't put down roots. If it's easy to just go, hey, baby, let's go to the, the other place. I kind of am over this one. Then you didn't invest here. You didn't invest in that church. You didn't put your life there. 
Because that's when the, the, the coin begins to flip and all of a sudden you become the one that is a we instead of a they. You're defending what's happening in your church body and what's happening with the gospel in and through your church. Not in the peanut gallery going, I wish they would do this. I wish they would do this. I wish this would get better. But when you're rooted and grounded in love, you become a loyal we. It's not these people are leading this. I'm in this with a servant heart leading from the ground up here as well. It was hard for her to leave. It's just like the house that you invest in. I think about all the stuff that I'm doing with my house right now. I'm like putting stuff in there. I'm like, this is where we're going to be forever. We paid some money for it, and we'll never be able to buy anything at the beach ever again, so we're not moving. So I've got, I'm putting a lot in it, and so much has taken place there. This is where I've raised my children. We've created this space here. We've done this to this thing here. We've experienced this. My kids have grown up. There's been lots of tears. There's been lots of happiness. There's been lots of heartache. There's been lots of growth. There's been lots of people from this church that have been in my house. There's lots of memories. There's lots of everything. And if I ever left that house, it would be sad, not because of the building, but because of the investment in the house. We need to be rooted and grounded in love. It's the only way that it works. Church is not a place that you attend. It's a place where you belong. It is a family. And you don't just go boop and leave the family. That's not the way that God intended it. And it's not the language that you see ever in Scripture. Ephesians was written to the whole, to take this letter in, to talk to the we. Not for a just a quiet time thing when I'm reading through the book of Ephesians. It was read to an entire congregation. And the church at Ephesus was a big church. It was a lot of people that were engaging with one another, that were supporting one another, that were lifting each other up when the other half was down. They were rooted and grounded in love and they invested so much that it would have been really hard, it would have been really sad for them to leave, to pick up and go somewhere else. And sometimes you have to, but it should feel like heartache. When I left RCC, it broke my heart. Every time I walked back in those doors, I got to go back this week just walking through the doors of that church. I felt something because so much of my life was built there. So much of who I am changed there in that place. It's the way that we should engage in church. It's the only way. You'd be wasting your time if you didn't do it any other way. We should take responsibility for those roots. I love what it says in the message. I don't even know if I highlighted this. I probably missed it. But Ephesians 4 in the message, 14 through 16, it says, we, we, we don't want any more prolonged infancies among us. Please will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy prey for the predators. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. We're not following a bunch of knuckleheads that are called elders. The elders are submitting their heart and life to Jesus, the head of the church, and that's who we're following. He keeps, keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we grow up healthy in God, robust in love. And in some of your translations, we don't want to be tossed about by the wind and the waves, by every crazy teaching that comes along. And there's a bunch of it, people deconstructing their faith and saying, hey, all these other things shouldn't be options and all of these are now options for us because it feels good. Number three, you need accountability and covering with the good shepherd. Just like I said before, there's, there's wolves out there that want to pull us away. There's, there's things at every corner that want to destroy what's happening. Even in, in John 10.10, 10, what, what does it say? It says, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to take us out. But that whole 
pastor is the, 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 the idea or passage is all about Jesus and him pastoring the sheep, us, the sheep. We're the ones that are in the sheep pen. And how there's a wolf that can take it. There's a hired hand that we don't trust. But there's the voice of the good shepherd. And we follow the good shepherd. And he actually knows our name. But in our world, we often begin to follow the hired hand other than the good shepherd. I mean, for me, I think the hired hand for a lot of us is the internet. I mean, that's the one that leads us. You know, what do I do? Where do I go? How are things happening? Let's go to the internet. Well, Google, that's the hired hand. He is not the good shepherd. And we get swept away. We need accountability. You know what I love? One of the best examples. I don't know if the, yes, they are right there. The Russell's right here. CrossFit. You talk about, you've got an accountability structure in your organization. And it's pretty strict. You know people. Their names are on the wall. What they're accomplishing is on the wall. Who they are. You know when they're gone, don't you? And you know when they're there. And when they're down, you don't keep them down. And you don't, nobody stands around, makes fun of the person that's not meeting their, their, you know, their personal goals. You're lifting them up. You're driving them up. You're doing everything you can to pick them up. There's a reason that CrossFit's gone crazy. Because the human heart was meant to be in this system of accountability. CrossFit's gone berserk. These people that are going, man, I'm in the box. And people are like, I wouldn't pay that much to go to the box. Well, I'll tell you what. In the box, you're going to change you're going to have to make your commitment. You're going to have to be responsibility for your own leadership and your own growth. But you're going to have a whole lot of people that are going to be willing to get down on their knees with you in the dirt to lift you up when you're down, when you can't lift it, when you can't do it, when you can't grind through it, when you're broken. And when you don't show up, they're going to be wondering where you are. Not just one person, but that whole group of people. Where's Jimmy? He was here. He was beating his PRs. He was doing his thing. Something must be going on in his life. And you guys aren't just doing the muscles. You guys, you know their life. You know their life. And I, I think that's an amazing thing. Why is that not part of the church? It is part of the church. We just don't engage in it that way. We don't see the benefit. And CrossFit, it's all of a sudden, I look good. I got jacked, right? I got some, you know, the beach is that way. You know, you start to get in that zone and you see physical results. For us, spiritual results are different. It's a different way of thinking. But man, is it important. We need this type of accountability and covering of the good shepherd. I want to be led not by the hired hand, but the good shepherd. People can see where I am. People know when I fail and they're in behind me praying for me. As a pastor, I feel this. I feel like the lucky one. And I'm telling you, I'm honest with you about this. God, sometimes I feel like God put me in church because he loves me more than everybody else. Because I needed it because I was weak. And I'm, I'm forced into a place of accountability. I have elders that I submit to. I've got you guys. I have to be in the word of God every week. And it drives and alive. It puts my heart back together when I'm broken. Every time I do it. Engage in the church in that way. Don't, don't stay in the place of light commitment. When we talk about becoming an anchor, we're serious about it. And we're not forcing you to do it tomorrow. Go through the dating process. I get it. It is 2021. You got to start talking first. But get to that point where you're an anchor. Or go somewhere else and be an anchor somewhere else and give your life away there. And I'd love that. Do that for somebody. The light commitment. Is not, it's not hurting us. We love seeing that you're here and you're hearing the gospel. But it's hurting you. It's breaking you down. The last thing is you need vision. You need vision. And what I mean by that is you need to see Jesus. 
you need to fully see Jesus. We get glimpses here on heaven, on earth, of what it's going to be like in heaven. But the, the, the depth of that glimpse depends on who you are and how you engage in the church. Go back to Ephesians 3, verse 7. I think we've got this, yeah. So, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that I pray that you being rooted and established in love. We talked about that. If you're rooted and established in love, that you may have power, what? Together with all the Lord's holy people. This is the thing it's all in, together. To grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled. I want to be filled with the measure of all the fullness. I'm ready to get buff in God. Do you know what this is saying? That you won't know those things outside of the people. If, you, if it's not together with all the Lord's people, you won't grasp how wide, how high, how deep, the breadth, the depth of God's love. We need each other. It makes a difference. I won't see as much without Chris Russell here. I won't see as much without Dan McFerrin here. I won't see as much without Gerald Tiano here. I won't see as much without Chris Dell here. I get different facets of God's love through this crazy, broken, and fallen, and feeble clay room full of people. The diversity in the room God has put together that I might see, I might have a vision together, being rooted and established in love. I'm going to see more of God because you're here, and you're going to be, see more of God because of the people that are right next to you. You're going to see more of God because of the people in your city group. And I'm not telling you it's perfect. You're going to be frustrated in the, with the people in your city group. You're going to think someone likes this person more than me. I mean, there's going to be normal human interaction. But God, in and through our brokenness, this is the vehicle in which people will see the glory of God. And if we believe what's in this scripture and how God is shaping us through each other in the diversity of the body, we will become what God wants us to become, a big, bright, beautiful light, like Dan said, shining the glory of Jesus out into the world. They will look at how we interact with one another, how we engage, how we are different. We're not low commitment people that have signed some sort of contract. If the church does what it's supposed to do, then I'll say otherwise I'll go attend somewhere else. Instead, a covenantal engagement with a church that says, you know what, I'm in this. I'm a loyal participant in this and I'm a part of defending what's happening with the people around me. We are shoulder to shoulder. We are an army together. Fighting darkness, going to hell into the depths with our light to take people out of the clutches of, of Satan himself and pull them out of the pit and see them in a relationship with Jesus. That's the ministry I want to be a part of. That's what we started here at Ocean City Church. Roaring into the gates of hell with light. And the only way that we're going to do it is the engagement that we're talking about. Being rooted and established in love. Go through the process, but we need to be anchors, the solid foundation that as people come in here, the reason that they're going to stay, the reason they're going to experience God is not just worship. It's not just preaching the word. It is going to be you. Most people say the reason I stayed is, and then it's a name. It's a name of a human being with the light of Christ, the hope of glory that's inside of them. That's what changes people. That's what regenerates people. It's the gospel moving in and through his people. That's what I love about communion. You know, we, we have communion's a little different, and hopefully this is the last time we'll do it with the, the crazy little cups, but we're doing communion today. 
And one of the things, communion, I always think about communion. I will come down there just because I, I want to get close to everybody. I don't have a table because I don't need it with a little crazy cup we got. <laughs> These things. I know, it's hard. You, it's like thinking less of communion because it's, you know, a shot glass. Um, I've got a talk I did about a shot glass. It's really good. Um, it's pretty funny. This one's a little more intuitive, too. The little wafer is on the top. So, like, some, last time it's like you could tear the wrong end. It's like, uh-oh, I just spilled grape juice. But this one's very obvious. Up here, just a little instruction. First, wafer, and then your, your drink, okay? But, but God, when he came together, I mean, I think about this. Like, the, the idea of engaging in the gospel and engaging with the church and being a part of the church. I think about how do we not get lost in the shuffle of the craziness of where we live? It's so easy with the communication, the world. And it just, I don't know why this came into my mind. I think I heard somebody preach about this at some point. But I remember being little and going to, uh, I grew up in Tallahassee, going to the football. It was back when the, you know, Doak Campbell Stadium at FSU was like wooden, but it was still enormous for me as a kid. And it's like, how are you going to, how are you going to, how are you going to not get lost as a seven and eight year old? Like, and there was that point back then you could, I mean, you could take a seven year old and go, all right, we'll see you later. I mean, that was just the way it was. But there was a reason, you know, there was a reason that, that we could go, we could go out into the sea of craziness and the end zone by ourselves. Our parents would go and do their thing. And there'd be this, and as, as things grew and the stadium got bigger and this massive national thing, when you go to games and, and, but we had something, what, what is like, what do you do when you go to the football game? Like there's a process. What's the tailgate? Come on, preach. You go to the tailgate. You go to the tailgate and you got a place. You got a home base. It's got all my food. It's got all my drinks. Sometimes the drinks are ones that my guy Jim shouldn't drink too much of because then he tries to drive and it's bad. But there's food. There's sustenance. There's the people that I know. And my mom would say, hey, you know, this is Larry. This is Jim. They're good people. If you see them around the stadium, that's good. Here's mom. Here's dad. Here's your brother. Here's your friends. You guys all stay together. We're going to be in this seat over here. You can kind of go where you want. But at halftime, here's home base. This is where we're all going to rally before we go back out into the wilderness of Doak Campbell Stadium. But this is where we're going to find our way home. This is where we're going to come and we're going to end up in this place all together at the end. We might be crying together because things didn't go well out there and lifting each other up. But we might be celebrating together because we had the biggest victory of all time. But we're all going to be together. And we're all going to be riding in this crazy van that we rode in. We were gold cheese, which is good. Right there all my people and it felt safe I knew I could always go back there and I'm not trying to be irreverent and talk about communion and the gathering of the saints of communion like a tailgate party but I am excited about the Jaguars and what's happening right now but in many ways this is it right here it's the place where we remember hey this is home it's real it's not just a place you attend and I know some of you are new you don't even know who I am you're looking at me going I've heard you preach but we don't know each other but if you're a Christian and a follower of Jesus and this is your place we're brothers and sisters and communion represents that it's Jesus saying you've been I want to show you just exactly what happened to do the miraculous thing to make you all have the rallying point that you have on planet earth where everything is broken it's not fully redeemed yet but I've redeemed you and I put you in a redeemed family and you can travel in this family and things are going to be okay no matter what your circumstances are no matter what you walk through 
When you're down, somebody's there to lift you up. When you haven't made it there, when you're missing, somebody's coming after the lost sheep. Under the guise and the name of the good shepherd, they're coming after you. Communion represents it. So here we are with this crazy little thing that in some ways means nothing. But for us right here, it represents remembering everything. So as we do communion, it's more than just this liturgy and this sacrament that we do. It's this beautiful remembering that God did something that leaves us not alone, but leaves us with each other and leaves us with his spirit because he's alive. And when two or more are gathered, he's here with us. So as we take communion today, you should remember Jesus, when he was with his friends, he took the bread, you know, he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, he took the cup and he, he raised it up and he said, there's a new covenant at hand. There was a system that was there for a reason. It wasn't something that Jesus was abandoning. He was completing it. This system was leading to and showing us our imperfection and showing us God's holiness, which we were gonna be able to approach. And that system led to a savior. He said, the system, we're done with the system and the savior is here. Because I'm getting ready to pour out my blood. My body's gonna be broken for you. That every sin that you've committed in the past, present, and future annihilated by the cross of Jesus Christ. And it will unite people that don't look alike, Jews, Gentiles, blacks, whites, everybody on the planet that calls the name of Jesus. You will be woven together into this beautiful tapestry, into these little communities that will bring my name to the world, redemption, rescue, and salvation. And every time you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, you remember and you keep doing it until you see me again because I'm coming. People forget this. He's coming back for you and for me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, there's no pressure in, like, to take this. In fact, the Apostle Paul says don't. And not because he's trying to exclude you. In the moment, he's probably trying to, to lead people in the room to say, hey, it's open for you. There's one way. It's Jesus and only Jesus. And if that's not the road that you want to go down, then communion's not for you. But he's saying it's open for everybody. It's just one road. And today could be your decision to take communion for the very first time. But if you're in the middle of this, you're trying to figure it out, and God's got you here for a reason, and that's okay. If you have something against somebody in the room and you're mad and you need to work that junk out, work it out and then take communion. That's all the Apostle Paul says. But today could be your first communion, and I would say welcome if Jesus has hit you for the first time today. So I'm going to pray, and we'll just do this together. Take as much time as you want, and then we'll respond and worship and celebrate the beauty of being rooted and grounded in love, the essence of the church of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you and we love you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you that you've given us something that we don't even comprehend, but one day we will see you face to face and we will know with, with joyful and holy regret, we will, we will look back on our lives and say, and I wish I knew because I would definitely think differently, walk differently, hug differently and love differently. Give us a glimpse of that, that moment right now that we not waste our lives in Jesus' precious name.